Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain. And make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And kids, follow us on Instagram at Broadway Curtain Podcast. Plus, you can always listen to all of our episodes, old and new, on the Broadway Podcast Network, iTunes, and Spotify. If you love musical theater as much as we do, then without a doubt, it one, if not all, of this author's many books sits on your shelf. Each one of them is a beautiful gem and an indispensable addition to any theater geek's collection, mine included as well. His many books include The Oxford Companion to the American Musical, Musicals in Film, The Tin Pan Alley Encyclopedia, The Jerome Kern Encyclopedia, The Disney Song Encyclopedia, Off-Broadway Musicals Since 1919, Word Crazy, Broadway Lyricists from Cohen to Sondheim, American Plays and Musicals on Screen, and countless, countless many more. And quite exciting to us, his newest book, The Mikado to Matilda, British Musicals on the New York stage is now available for reading. We have read it. It is fantastic. It is fantastic. And having just finished it, I can say it is the definitive book on West End musicals. To discuss his authorship, his hobbies, and his craft, here is Professor Thomas S. Hischek. Thomas, how are you? Great today. Thomas, where where exactly do you hold academic appointments? I was uh, 33 years at the uh, State University of New York in Cortland, New York. Retired, came down to St. Augustine, Florida, where we love it, my wife and I. And uh, I teach part-time now at Flagler, uh, Flagler College. Excuse me. I teach film and theater. All right, Thomas, where did this love of theater come from? Growing up in the Midwest, I didn't see a Broadway show until I was 20 years old. Oh. So I grew up listening to cast albums. Mm-hmm amateur productions and uh, by high school seeing some tours that came through Dayton, Ohio and Dayton, Ohio was not, you know, one of the great hotspots for, you know, first class tours. So I came late into theater. That's, um, I did not grow right. up in theater. You know, I wasn't the kid that was seeing children's theater. I wasn't like children today going to see the Lion King at the age of six you know, and seeing Broadway theater. No, my first Broadway show was not until 1970 with Company, the original, and I was spoiled for life. Oh, because yeah. I thought all shows would be that good. 
<laughs> what, what an introduction what an introduction yeah, great introduction i mean i knew a lot of shows i knew all the you know the rogers and hammerstein but to sit in a theater and see company i thought wow yeah. and uh for the 70s which is considered a pretty low point for theater in new york you know number right. of shows the 70s was a great period for me that's the period of sondheim candor and ebb uh, you know, uh, Vita. I mean, it was a great time for for musical theater. But if you look at the the history of musicals, it was a low point for number of shows, attendance, uh, New York City, Times Square, really bad time. But but I really believe that most people who love musicals, your favorite musicals are the ones you saw when you were in your twenties. Yeah, all hold a hot, yeah, it's such a special yeah. spot for you. And, and those are the ones that I most admire and still love. Absolutely. So, Thomas, I have to ask, you know, you were playing all these original cast recordings when you were growing up. Which record do you think got worn out the most? Oh, gosh. From, from your uh, continuous play. I remember my mother had to buy Sound of Music and Camelot because we wore them out. Yep. You know, <laughs> listening to them too much. These are the, yeah, these are the classics that... Uh, I, uh, music Man was in there too. I, I think the Music Man was not playable. <laughs> That's a, understandable. Now you said, did you grow up in Dayton, Ohio, or near Dayton, Ohio? I grew up in Rochester, New York. Then we moved oh. to Dayton, Ohio. So I seem to get further and further away. Then I went <laughs> to school in St. Louis. Now you're really far from New York. And uh, when I got married, uh, my wife and I, uh, we lived in Illinois, and. Uh, for us to go to New York was a big deal, you know, to, to, to take a bus or, you know, uh, or we didn't drive it. We took a bus and stayed for a week, you know, and we're seeing shows in the early 70s, mid 70s. Yeah. We saw a lot of theater considering how far we were away. I am always jealous of those people who lived and saw every show. Sure. You know? we, yeah. But yeah. every cast album, every, you know. <laughs> I, I, you know, there wasn't, even if it was, uh, um, oh, walking happy and it was the 99 cent, you know, L bin and Kmart. I got it. You know, Absolutely. It was, yes. Yeah. You're in good company. <laughs> yeah. I, yes. Thomas, you're, I, you know, I was not too discriminate. I mean, I could tell good and bad, but I didn't hesitate. You've got a cast album back when, you know, they were the LPs. Right. I, I mean, I think we're, we're all, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir. I think we're all the same way. Just grab it. And it doesn't matter yes, if it's good, just yes. grab it. You no know, growing question. up when you were in Ohio, did you see any of the Kenley player shows? Yes, I was in high school and then I went to college. So I can't say I saw, I think I was there for two summers and saw just about everything they did and recently someone sent me an article about the Kenley players and that was an outstanding summer theater and uh, talk about being spoiled for life. That was the first summer theater I ever saw was the Kenley players. I thought all summer theater was that good oh. <laughs> and it wasn't. I mean, the yeah. Kenley players, John Kenley got good people, cast them the right way. And I got to see shows that, you never got to see again. I got to see, you know, the happy time. Uh, nobody did that. I got to oh. see half sixpence. I got to see all these shows that he just found the right person and he did them, you know, and uh, besides the big hits too, you know. 
Yeah. Right? So I treasure those uh, probably 20 or 30 Kenley Player productions that I've seen. You know? That's incredible. They did, they did 12 a, a summer, 10 or 12 a oh, summer. Oh, yeah, yeah. You and know? they bring in like the movie star or someone or TV star to come in and Right, but you know what? They all had stage experience. Of course, yeah, yeah. I go to see Finian's Rainbow with Barbara Eden. The woman has unbelievable stage credits. She's brilliant. Did you harbor any interest ever to get on stage yourself? No, I uh, uh, I did plays in high school, did plays in college. And I realized, uh, by the end of college, I realized my interest was in directing, writing, uh, playwriting. And so when I went to graduate school, I I did not major in acting. I majored in playwriting. And, uh, and, and, and where was graduate school for you, Thomas? Uh, Southern Illinois University at Carbondale. Good Got school it. for playwriting. Mm-hmm. And I knew I would make a, a living at playwriting, but I would teaching and directing. And that's when I started writing nonfiction you know, about theater. First book was in 1990. And, you know, in 1990... There weren't a hell of a lot of books. You had your old classics by Stanley Green. And, you know, and um, uh, there were just a handful of them. Uh, There weren't a lot of people writing yet. And I was lucky to write a book about lyrics because hardly anybody had ever written about lyricists. Now there's a lot of people writing and a lot of good people. Mm -hmm. And... um, so I really had to find a niche to find, you know, what hasn't been written about. Uh, but back then, there weren't a lot of musical theater books. And and why do you think that is? Why do you think in that era there weren't really anything re- beyond what Stanley Green was doing? I think more people take it seriously. More people are studying musical theater. Mm. Uh, I think there are college classes in musical theater that are not at NYU, you know, Um I started teaching musical theater in a state college, you know, as a seminar. Um, and more people are going to the theater, uh, musical theater, than in 1990, mm-hmm. younger people. So uh, there's more interest in, you know, there's a lot of fluff books, a lot of great coffee table books, but there's a lot of books about musical theater every time you turn around and, and, uh, I, I worry that when I write a book that somebody's not writing the same book because sure. there's a lot of people out there. Yeah, yeah. And, and you said, what was the name of the first book that you, you wrote in 1990? Um, Broadway Lyricist, Cohan to Sondheim. And what inspired you to, to, to put this all down in a book? I couldn't find a good book about lyricists. Um, I did find later there was one, he quoted a lot of lyrics. Um, it was by... Um, um, oh, I'm blanking out. Um, and it was a great book for quotations. He quoted a lot of lyrics, but I wanted to look at every major lyricist, talk about their work and quote from them, which was very hard to do back then. You had to pay. And, uh, it just was different enough that a publisher picked it up and it, and it did pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought the, the composers had been well covered, you know, sure. a lot of books about the composers. But I thought of these, you know, uh, unsung heroes, although everybody sings their words. Um, and then later on, the other one I, I, I really wanted to hit was the people who wrote the books. Talk about people overlooked. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so that came a little bit later. 
So, Thomas, who do you think in the annals of lyricist history is a lyricist that does not get the credit that you think they deserve? E.Y. Harburg. Mm. I mean, he is he is amazing lyricist, but he doesn't come off the tongue as fast as when people say Sondheim, right. Lorenz Hart, you know, uh, Ira Gershwin, um, and, just and- the Absolute brilliant lyricist. And for our listeners, can you can you help remind us what were some of Yip well, Harburg's everybody songs? Everybody knows his work because they know Wizard of Oz, and he can write something as beautiful as you know, somewhere over the rainbow. But he can write really edgy stuff. Um, like, uh, for example, Finian's Rainbow, one of his a few Broadway hits. He didn't have a lot of hits because his stuff was too edgy and too Political too demanding. Too. But he can write something as beautiful as How Are Things in Glockamora. And then he can write something as, as uh, risky or risque as uh, When the Idle Rich Become the Idle Poor. We're talking about, you know, how we treat people depending on who they are uh, wealth-wise. And uh, he can write uh, something about the atom bomb in uh, Jamaica. Uh, lyric about you know mm. uh, the monkey and the mango tree making fun of uh, evolution so yeah he was always a, a little difficult uh they were afraid to use him a lot they never were afraid what he was going to put in his lyrics bloomer girl for example a show love nobody show. does anymore love it. unbelievable great lyrics but my goodness you've got woman suffrage you've got abolitionists you've got all this stuff in it and that's 1940 gosh Four, I believe. Um, brilliant lyricist. He sometimes wrote the book too, but it's the lyrics that uh, that make him. I would say if somebody's not given enough credit, he would be he would be there. That's great. And then you know um, your your book on librettists is called "Boy Loses Girl," correct? Right. right. And was that immediately following? Um, no, no, no. There was a couple other books in between, but I I just at one point I said you know. Every time I wrote about these shows and I keep seeing these names come up, you know, I said, oh, he wrote the book. Oh, he wrote the book for that one. Oh, he wrote the book for that one. And it was like, nobody knows who that person is, you know. Um, and, and it's like, wow, you know, like this, some of these people wrote a lot of these books. Yeah. You know, so there you have Rogers and Hart, Rogers and Hart, Rogers and Hart. But, uh, you know, but. What, what, who wrote the the books for all those shows, you know? So um, some of the lyricists were book writers like Oscar Hammerstein. So that was easy. But I was looking for the, the people who just never really got the credit. And uh, I enjoyed doing that book a lot. I was going to say that's such a challenging thing to do because I'm assuming, you know, everyone has access to listen to a cast recording. So you right. can, he- you can yeah. hear the work, but... What goes into making a good book of a musical? Well, it's usually the start of what makes the musical successful. You know, uh, somebody comes up with the idea, but it's the person who writes the book that it's pretty much, um, maybe it's not as true today, but it was true in the old days, that the book made or broke the, the musical. Remember, Sondheim was asked, what comes first, music or lyrics? Remember his answer? The, the book, book. <laughs> yeah. Don't talk about the songs. No. Get the book, yeah. uh, then you can talk about songs. And um, even before Oklahoma, when you know the books were more integrated and more serious and more made more logical sense, even those in those thirties, the book had to hold together. Mm-hmm. And that's why we don't do a musical 
you know, uh, like um, Peggy Ann, but right. we do Anything Goes because Anything Goes has a pretty good book. Yeah. Um, but we don't do too many girls because it just doesn't have a good book, you know. Uh, so, but it has a great score. Right. Uh, so uh, that the you know. So what do we do? We we record all the Rogers and Art songs, but we don't do their so their shows. That's kind of the reality of it, mm -hmm. and uh, that happens with a lot of wonderful. You know, Cole Porter. Yeah, we we do Kiss Me Kate. You know, that's great, but. What about all those shows that he Let's wrote? Let's face it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, well, we do Anything Goes and Kiss Me Kate. But, uh, you know, nobody's going to do 20, 20, 50, 50 million Frenchmen. Because uh, the minute they look at all those great songs and then they go, oh, my goodness, look at the story. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I put a lot of credit on the book. Today, the book writer, it's even harder because people expect so much more. They expect... Mm -hmm more than jokes they expect the songs to fit into the story they expect some logic there's a lot of bad books you know musicals sure. uh, but um and some weak books are disguised by wonderful productions you know great beautiful productions and uh you know i don't want to trash any new musicals uh but it's like the the production is so good that you go oh that really wasn't a very good book but they disguised it. I, I think that happens on occasion, yeah. You know, I feel a lot of times when people talk about the great books of musicals, it's always, they mention, it's Gypsy in 1776, and um, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. But in more recent times, in more recent times, Thomas, are there any books that you feel do an exemplary job of, of being mentioned in the same category as those other three shows? Well... I have to avoid all those the shows that are sung through, and there's some really good shows like Hades Town. Yep. There isn't a book. Uh, there is, but it's all sung, and and that being a work by one person, you know, yeah. how do you separate the book from the lyrics and the music? Uh, I would say, for example, um, uh, Craig Lucas's book for The Light in the Piazza. Marvelous. That is a book. It's based on a movie, based on a book, but um, a novel. But that is a solid book, a really solid book, um, and uh, and it's the score is gorgeous, the production is wonderful, but I, it, it, the book is really important in that one. Um, other ones that I've been impressed with, I was very impressed with the book for Grey Gardens. Uh, a lot of people yes. didn't like the show, but here is a, a, a documentary movie with no plot and. Jeffrey Thatcher. Oh, God, I'm going to get the wrong book writer. Uh, but anyway, uh, whoever took the book uh, looked at that movie and said, how could we make a two-act musical out of this very odd documentary? And I, yeah, thought, right. I thought it was excellent, you know, going in the past and then coming to the present, well, mm -hmm. 1977. To me, that was a superb book. Um, and, um, and even Wicked... Um, I read the novel Wicked when I heard they were making a musical and I said, this has got to be the stupidest idea since <laughs> bring back birdie. And, um, uh, I, I read it, you know, and I, I just said, I was fascinated by the book and, uh, uh, well, you know, in the second lead or the third lead is a woman with no arms. I said, this really is not going to work. Um, and when I went to see the show, I, I thought there were problems with the book, but I thought, 
I got to give this woman credit. She took this unbelievably complicated, convoluted, long epic and turned it into a pretty workable book. And I said, I think a lot of the success of Wicked is that book. You know, yeah, you can just do the magic and the, you know, uh, and the, the big soaring numbers for so long. So not a perfect book, but it works. And I, I credit, um, yeah, I credit her. Yeah, Win- Winnie Holzman, right, who who did the book on that. And just yes. incre- right. incredible, yeah. incredible job. Um, when it comes to your research, I mean, you've written so many encyclopedias, right? You know, the Off-Broadway right. Encyclopedia, Rogers and Hammerstein Encyclopedia. How do you do your research? The facts are easy to find. It's what was the plot that is not so easy to find. And even the internet hasn't helped. Mm. Really have to dig if you want to find the plot for a 1927 musical by Jerome Kern. Let's say. Um, there you really have to go. You got to look at reviews. You got to look at people you trust, like Gerald Boardman, who was mm-hmm. an expert in, in the old stuff and uh, an expert in Kern, and uh, to, to try to figure out what's going on. Um, there are no cast albums until Oklahoma, so you got a problem there. You can say, "Oh yeah, the score was this had this song and this song, this song," but who's recorded them? They never really recorded the whole show. They just picked the two or three shows, uh, songs that were um, most interesting. So uh, it's it's a little detective work, but I kind of like it. Yeah. Uh, the newer stuff, you know, uh, even if they don't publish the book, you can find so many scenes. You can listen to the score. And uh, for Off-Broadway, I did a whole book just on Off-Broadway musicals, and they aren't published but the reviews are all there and I can find out a lot if I didn't see it. And I don't see everything cause I don't live in New York, mm-hmm. um, but I can find out about an off Broadway musical and maybe it wasn't a huge success. And I mean, it was a limited run at playwrights horizons and it, you know, and it, it maybe it got a cast recording. Maybe it didn't. Um, but if I hunt in search, I could find it uh, mm-hmm. some on the internet, but you know, mostly reviews and um, uh, if it's old enough, what people have written about it. Um, But I tend to, uh, if I'm doing a book, I get to the modern period and it's not written about yet. You know, there's not too too many books written about Hades town. Let's put it that way. You know, it's just too new, but a lot of it's written about it online. Yeah. Um, in addition to yourself, who are some of your other favorite theater writers or his theater historians that you know that you find yourself gravitating towards in your research? Uh, I was lucky to kind of become a protege to Gerald Boardman. Can you tell oh. us more about him, please? Because I think he it's one of the first times we're talking about him on this show. Yeah. Gerald Boardman was a businessman. He went to very good schools and he f- inherited the family business making mothballs. <laughs> University of Pennsylvania trained in the classics, but he had to sell mothballs. His family would go to England every year, so he saw all the shows in London. He lived in Philadelphia, saw all the shows in Philadelphia before they went to New York. He loved the theater. He gets about to the age of 40, and he realizes he's sick of mothballs, <laughs> sells the family business, 
and says, I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to writing about the musical theater. Um, and that's what he did. His very first book, uh, he spent 10 years researching and writing a biography and a critique of Jerome Kern. And, uh, and then he just started writing book after book after book. Um, he was, I met him because I wrote a book about songs, uh, the, the American Musical Theater Song Encyclopedia. And the editor said, you want somebody to write a foreword? And I said, oh, Joy Earl Boardman. I don't know him personally, but sent it to him. And he wrote back and said, how old are you? <laughs> at the time, I was like 30-something or whatever. Right. And he said, oh, well, that explains it. <laughs> you know? And then he started pointing out all the mistakes and all the this and all that. But we eventually met, and uh, he got me some some gigs you know he'd say oh i don't want to write the new version of this you know the axford uh this and would you like to take over you know oh he wow was a, he oh, was a bit of a grumpy guy and uh, i couldn't believe it he said to me at one point i don't go to the theater anymore i just don't like the new musicals i can't stand anything that's miked and i just stopped going and I said, but you're missing some really good stuff. He says, I don't care if I'm missing some good stuff. I just don't. And it's funny, you know, 30 years later, <laughs> I'm like, I don't mind miking. It's not my favorite. But some, there are days when I look at the, the lineup on Broadway and I'm going, I just really don't think I'm missing anything. <laughs> but, but there's that show, every, you know, every season or every two, there's that show that says, oh, no, don't give up. You know, no, there's still yes. great stuff, you know, uh, but I can understand how we got fed up. So he continued writing until the day he died. And uh, um, he he always took the point of view of the tired businessman. He says, I was the tired businessman who went to the theater in the, the old saw about, you know, oh, I'm do shows for the tired businessman, mm. you know, girls and everything. And he loved the serious stuff, but he said, I was that tired businessman who went to the theater and, uh, and, and, and I loved it. And he absolutely loved the theater, but by the 1960s, he was losing interest, you know? Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. It was that early. Yeah. In the seventies he was, you know, um, so, uh, he kept going. His, his area of expertise, I'm assuming was what, like the early 20th century and is, 20s was the that, that tome he has the a, a chronolog the chronology of American music. Right. I mean, that is it sits on my that is like a my yeah. go to sort of encyclopedia. Yeah. I mean, the the number of words he wrote in that alone is exhausted. Unbelievable is right, and it goes back to the 1800s. And right, he yeah. went and one of the editions he went backwards and included more. The very recent edition, Richard Norton uh, has updated it because he really hadn't seen any of the newer shows and he wrote about some of them, but without having seen them and didn't know, and, and he was getting a little inaccurate. Mm -hmm. So I know Richard Norton, uh, when he took over, he had to rewrite some of the last part of the previous edition. Mm -hmm. um, so it's still the best book for in one volume, you know, one volume book to have so much information. Yeah. Now that book was of very little use to me when I wrote the book about British musicals, because that was about Broadway America 
And uh, anytime a British musical came along, whether it was Cats or whatever, they gave it a little paragraph, you know. <laughs> yeah, he skipped right over so, that. Yeah, he didn't want yeah. to. Yeah. And I was so disappointed. I thought, oh, let's see what Joe Boardman had to say about this. And it was like, oh, my goodness. He was, oh, this came for a week. And it was, you know, and it was like, oh, thanks. Yeah. And so in that case, I, I go to what I consider the second most knowledgeable person. And he's not as well known in this country. His name is Kurt Gansel. G-A-N-C. Oh, yeah. yeah. From, uh, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, well, at least he lives in New Zealand. I don't know where he came from. He lived in England uh, and in New Zealand. He is the expert on European musicals, uh, not only British, but operettas uh, right, from yeah. France and Austria and whatever. He multilingual. And um, he was the one that, Without him, I couldn't have done the the London musicals because he covers the London stage, just like Joe Boardman did in his book. Gansel does for the London stage. He's also written about Broadway and other things, um, and he's a little bit younger than Boardman. He's still alive and still working on things. Lives in New Zealand, and uh, I hear from him once in a while. But I did dedicate the British book to him because I I don't know where I would have found out. You know who was in the cast of uh, you know the 1904 production of you know this particular British musical. Yeah. And uh, interestingly, in England, they do not have anything like the best plays of you know the great series that oh, we yeah. had all until 2000, 2007 is the last issue. They don't have that. You know, they do not have, like, we have the Internet Broadway database. There is no such thing in England. They tried, they started it, and it just fell through. It's it's too, you go too far back. It's yeah. too huge. Yeah. And nobody keeps, and it's, they don't have the resources. Um, and so to this day, if you try to find out how many performances a London musical that played in 1974, you cannot find out how many performances. There is no record. It's unbelievable. Yeah. You look up in a book and they'll say it ran two and a half months because they found it in a newspaper or something. Huh. Um, so they don't have those those giant things uh, that I really, you know, consider the Bible, you know, for facts. But uh, Kirk Gansel, he wrote plots and opinions and songs and uh, amazing stuff. Um, other people in America, I, I admire. He's so opinionated, but he's fun to read as Ethan Morton. Yeah. Yes. One of those people you don't even have to agree. You just enjoy reading him. You know, uh, he's, he's very, very good. Uh, Stephen Suskin is, is very good. And... Um, he wrote one book. I still don't know how he wrote it. Uh, he wrote a whole book about the uh, people who did the or orchestrations for and Broadway. The yeah. Yeah. Un uh, unreal. I don't know how he wrote that book. I mean, he was going through um, scores, looking oh. at handwriting to try to he figure out. He would say, out. oh, well, this, it was, this person was yeah. filled, but it was actually yeah, orchestrated. This one song. The, but the pencil writing, I think it was so... How he did that. I know. You know? Yeah. Uh, I was, yeah, his books are impressive, but I told him once, uh, 
that's a book that just boggles my mind is, um, you know, and talk about an area that was never covered before. Uh, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, there's several people, good people writing. Uh, and, and those are people writing books. Uh, who knows? A number of people are just not writing books, but they have blogs. And oh, yeah. That's just, uh, that, you know, goes unbelievable. A number of people have blogs and columns and stuff. Right. It's 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 very exciting because we're also seeing I think a lot of younger people um, g- getting into the art of you know trying to to preserve the history right. as well, which is really exciting. I mean, not only on blogs but like if you look on Instagram as well or Facebook, they have whole groups set up, and it's just right. It's, it's nice to see that the the love for the theater is is being passed yeah. on to a new generation. Yeah, I, I'm not into all the social media too much, but with a little bit. <laughs> Like I have a Twitter account, but I'm not allowed to look at it because <laughs> I just don't get it. Uh, but Mark Robinson, uh, oh. uh, who you know from his blog, yes. he opened it for me and he says, I'll, I'll send the tweets out, but don't look at it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did, like Twitter friends. <laughs> well, I looked at it once and I was like, oh my God, there's, there's too much stuff on here and there's too many crazy people and whatnot. Yes. But anyway, the, the little bit I have seen on Facebook, I don't even have Facebook, but uh, not all of it's gossip. Some of it is seriously people have opinions and, mm-hmm. and, and, and sometimes opinions that are not crazy, you know, that well-educated yep. thoughts that they exchange about old musicals, new musicals. You yeah. Know? So there's, there's a, there's a dialogue going on that never existed in the old days, except for a bunch of people at a party. <laughs> talking yes. About them. Yeah. So uh, it is very different. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's, it's a whole new world, Golda. It's a whole, <laughs> it's a whole new world, Golda. Hello, this is Audrey Hepburn. Welcome to Crackertown Dinner Theater and Grill. Audrey Hepburn, this is Ann Miller here, and I'm disgusted. What are you doing in a place like this? It's all I could get. I didn't know about Patreon.com. I didn't know you could go there to set up a monthly donation to keep going. Well, the boys at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's living legends, like me, they know, and their listeners do too. They go there and set up a donation, and they donate all they can. Oh, Patreon, it's wonderful, but will you be having the prime rib or the chicken? I'll be having Patreon. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. So I'm curious, before we start talking about this amazing recent book that you've, that you've created about British musicals that, that have come to New York City, as a researcher and as a historian, have you ever had a eureka moment or a moment of in the middle of your research, you know, a light bulb went off and said, oh my gosh, I've never realized this. Or, wow, I've, re- I've discovered something that people thought were lost. Hmm. Since I don't go through the archives of uh, the Lincoln Center uh, uh, Library, you know, I'm not going down to the original, you know, manuscripts. Sure. I've never discovered that, you know, that yeah, um, I find things that I I didn't know. And I'm so surprised because I've been wrong my whole life and everybody had been wrong and been telling me things. And I don't know if it's a eureka moment, but it's like, a, oh my goodness, how can I do that? Yeah. On this recent book, I, along with everyone else, assumed Julie Andrews is in The Boyfriend, right? Everybody yeah. knows that. From the stage, version, made her a star. I assumed she did it in London. Of course, she did it in London, then they brought her over. She didn't do it in London. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, everybody assumes yeah. she was the London girl they brought over. Um, it was played by a very well-known actress in uh, in London, and and she wasn't in it. And when they brought it to America, here was this young girl who had been singing her heart out uh, since she was six with that gorgeous voice. She'd appeared in a pantomime or two. She had no acting experience, but they said, we, we need somebody British, and we... And so they brought her over for the Broadway version. She was horrible. Mm. She couldn't act. They were going to get rid of her. And and finally somebody said, no, no, no. I think we could, you know, now we're talking the boyfriend here, Polly, one of the deepest characters ever written, right? <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, it's, and the director, um, I, think, I think it was the British director, said, no, 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 come on. And, and they really were close to getting rid of her. And she opened on Broadway, and it wasn't a My Fair Lady kind of fame, but she got everyone's attention. And she really became, you know, like, wow, look at this girl. Listen to her. She's so charming. And, of course, learned her in low star, and there was no question. And uh, Richard Rogers, uh, Wonder for Pipe Dream, good part. Yeah. And she says, I don't know what to do. And she said to Richard Rogers, that Lerner and Lowe are doing this show uh, based on Pygmalion, and he said, you should do that. I think that would be a better part. And I, and he, and it's funny because Rodgers and Hammerstein had tried to do Pygmalion, and they gave up on it. They thought it was an impossible thing. And he said, no, um, do that. I think that'd be better for your career. And uh, he never forgot her. He did her wrote Cinderella for her in mind. And then later on, she did the movie. So the connection with Rogers is pretty strong. But for me to find out she had never done it in London, I thought we were bringing over a London star here. Yeah. uh, Luckily, Stephen Suskind is the one who pointed out to me about uh, Julie Andrews. He saw the final proof Mm. and uh, they sent it to him to uh, write a a little blurb. And he said, of course, you're going to fix the Julie Andrews thing. And I said, what? (laughs) <laughs> and he said she didn't do it in London. And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And I looked immediately, and I, I, it was—it's a terrible kind of research where I know that already. Uh, uh-uh. uh, 
you make sure, you know, uh, and I looked in the original London cast, she's not there. And, uh, that's yeah. that is I did not know that my mind is blown on both on yeah. both of those fronts. And it goes back to there's no database. There's no place yeah. with all of that information. No, no. I had to go back to Gansel's cast, you know, original cast. Yeah. And say and she wasn't even a replacement. She wasn't even an understudy. She just wow. she was singing in some concert hall. <laughs> the girl was singing at the age of six or five. It was yeah. unbelievable. And I even read her autobiography in it. I didn't catch on, you know, but uh, so you'll learn. Yeah. Now, you know, you are amongst a small group of, of theater historians, you know, it's cause it's not a large group. It's, you know, you, it's Ethan, it's Mark, it's uh, Peter Felicia, Stephen Suskin, the great, the great Ken Mandelbaum. Um, you know, it, do you guys all rely on each other um, as a, as, as a tight unit or I'm assuming there's no competition cause you're all writing about things you love. Um, I've never met any of them. I've talked to uh, Jared Boardman. Yeah. I, um, I email Stephen Suskin because we've overlapped on some projects, uh, and he's. I had a question for him, or he um, he once had a question for me about a publisher, and uh, and he's written some blurbs. Um, I have never met um, Richard Norton. He took over for Boardman. Um, I think I know Richard Norton did look at one of my books because uh, Boardman asked him to prove it. Um, I have never met any of the other ones. Um, I'm not in New York. If I lived in New York, I could imagine, you know, we're yeah. sitting in some bar and argue about, you know, if Ethel Merman could act or not. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I will say that's one reason why I never want to leave the city. One of my my favorite yes. memories of the city was I was in Westway yeah. Diner once by myself, and I heard a, a heated argument next to me, and uh-huh. it was two men yelling, "You don't know what you're talking about. You're so wrong." And the other guy said, "I'm right. You're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. F you. I'm out of here." The guy left, and <laughs> the other guy said, "Because I don't care what he says." Dorothy Collins was the best Sally I ever saw. <laughs> and I those said, are, I, <laughs> those are fighting words. Yes. yes. <laughs> I said, that's the, that's the world I want to live in. So let's, well, let's talk. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I was going to say example of that is uh, um, Mark put a, a tweet of mine where I talked about, uh, uh, and get your gun in a uh, good old, uh, um, Oh my goodness, I'm blanking out. Um, in the movie of Annie Get Your Gun, Betty Hutton. But Betty Hutton, Hutton, yeah. Betty Hutton. And said, I, I just I watched Calamity Jane again. And I, you know, which is a ripoff of Annie Get Your Gun. <laughs> and how good yes. Doris Day was. And I just tweaked and said, Boy, Doris Day was pretty good as a sharpshooter, you know? And uh, boy, did we get things saying. Doris Day should have played Annie Get Your Gun. You know, she should, you would have been great as Annie Oakley. You know, it's like, why oh, the, did they use her? You know, and, it was, and you can see people getting hot under the collar about yeah. that. Because some people absolutely hate Betty Hutton, you know. And, uh, but uh, I liked yeah, her. It's still, it's still going on. <laughs> those kind of arguments, yeah. It's fun. It's fun. Now, okay, so let's talk about this. This book is absolutely incredible. And once again, listeners, it's called The Mikado to Matilda. British musicals on the New York stage. So, Thomas, what was the inspiration for for writing this all down? There's a very good book came out uh, several years ago by Adrian Wright, 
uh, it's British uh, critic uh, writer. He called it West End Broadway, the golden age of the American musical in London. And I thought, what a fascinating book. And he talked about all the Broadway hits, American Broadway hits that went to London and what happened to them. And I was very surprised to see that some even went over. I can't imagine they thought Fiorello would be a big hit in London. Or oh, wow. I know. Nobody, you know, uh, just like today, nobody knows Fiorello. They did in America at the time. And I was surprised to see what survived and what did very well. I thought, what a fascinating book. That got me started. What about the opposite? Mm. What about the London shows that came to New York and what happened to them? And I would only bring London shows that were successful. Mm. All right. So that was limiting it. I didn't know how far to, back to go. And, <laughs> uh, but I thought I can't ignore Gilbert and Sullivan because they were the most successful shows. And then I thought, well, I'll pick up a couple from the 1800s <laughs> and then I'll go right up through the British invasion. And I have this terrible weakness for alliteration. So I like the Mikado to Matilda, but I go back further than the Mikado and I go a little bit past Matilda. We got in uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and um, School of Rock, I think mm -hmm. after that. Uh, so that's the inspiration is, yeah, let's look at uh, these British musicals. Some are very, very famous, obviously, but what, you know, the ones that are not so famous and ones that ran quite a while in London. And for some reason, Americans just didn't, you know, sometimes it wasn't the critics. It was the audiences. Sometimes it was the times, uh, all different reasons. And that's what, that was interested me. I, I said, I, that's what I want to research. And there I'd be talking about a lot of musicals in the past that I knew nothing about. And I'd be talking about Broadway's version of Jerome Kern, you know, uh, in the old days, you know, the Jerome yeah. Kern, the Cole Porters and the, of the 1910s and 20s. Uh, we all knew Noel Coward, you know, uh, we knew some of the biggies, but who were their big, you know, writers and, and um, composers who had hit after hit after hit. And some of them came over here. So, uh, so that's, that's what got me interested. And because of the books, it's a three volume set and other books by Gansel. I knew I could find out about these musicals. Yeah. And surprisingly, I was able to listen to a lot of them. Uh, on YouTube, yeah. You have to remember the British were way ahead of us when it came to recording Broadway, I should, sorry, musical theater. Yeah. You know, Oklahoma's our first original cast album. The British were recording songs from musicals in the 1890s. Not a whole cast, but just a song or two. Wow. Yeah. And by the 20s, they are doing full cast recordings. Not like we think of today with every single song, but on the 78s, probably about three or four 78s, which would give you about eight songs, you know, because yeah, uh, 78 would run that long. Yeah. You can listen to the entire cast of No No Nanette, the British cast on 78s. They were selling them. And that's huh. 1920, you know, four or whatever. Um, they just did it. 
And uh, so we have, for American, not to mention British, we have recordings. Uh, so I was able to hear a lot of stuff. And also, we are impressed by numbers of performances. You know, so we say, oh, Oklahoma broke the record and it ran this many performances. Well, the British had shows that ran over a thousand performances by the turn of the century. The theaters were smaller and they just ran and ran and ran. And yeah. numbers that we, we never uh, had. Uh, this doesn't mean they were better, no, but long runs were, you know? Yeah. I think some of it is a lot of American shows closed in the summer because it was too hot and then they'd reopen. But the British summers are not as hot, and most of their shows just ran through the summer. So they had the momentum, and they kept playing, and then it would, you know, it, business would go down a little bit. And uh, we had this tradition of, you know, like everybody fled the city in the summer with no air conditioning. They all went off, and a lot of things closed. And the British don't have that, you know. They just stay in London. And so the numbers just, you know, are astounding. Um, and uh, you look at shows that nobody heard of, like the, the Geisha Girl or Chuchin Jim, and it was like, oh my God, they ran over a thousand performances, uh, yeah. and and it's only nineteen thirteen, you know. Um, so it's 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 different. Which show on on the list? Uh, and there's a, a bunch of titles on here. It's so fascinating. Which one on this list was the hardest for you to find information about? I did include reviews as well. Yeah, I would say. They gave me trouble because Gansel does not consider a review musical theater. Oh. Very funny. If you look in that wonderful thick book of his, mm -hmm. you will not find Ain't Misbehaving. You will not find um, The Little Show. Yeah. You will not find The Bandwagon. He does not believe that reviews are theater, musical theater. So. Whenever I found like a Noel Coward review or uh, Andre Charlotte review, I had trouble because mm -hmm. he wasn't there to help me. Yes. <laughs> and I had to go to other sources. And uh, so I would say those were the most troublesome, but they were popular and I want to include them. Sure. And Andre Charlotte comes over with, you know, uh, comes off the boat with, with uh, uh, Beatrice Lilly and, um, uh, uh, God, I forget how else was in that one. And then they singing five hits by Noel Coward. This is an important show. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and it's ignored by cancel. <laughs> but luckily, there were enough reviews. And, Get it together, uh, Kurt. And I, I they love how you. Oh, it would be the hardest. And, and at the end, I love that you have a, a guide of all the recordings. So if yes. You're, if you're dying to hear the little of Karen or something, you can you can figure out you know where you can you know listen to these. And I think they, that's a wonderful resource as well. They, uh, uh, if they're not originals, somebody's recorded them in a studio. Some of these British wow. old British ones, and then they've they've reissued them on CD. You know, it's yeah. a great that you think, okay, who cares about the 1904 or so and so? You know. Somebody must because yeah. they read it, you know. Gilbert and Sullivan, you can understand, you know, sure. it's a huge following. Right. But when I see that uh, the Arcadians has been re-released on CD, I go, whoa, you know, I mean, uh, you know. 2007, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, they just recently came out with uh, Arcadians. So, um, um, 
So, so that's the inspiration for the book, and that was the hardest part. But the best part was to, to read about dozens and dozens of shows that were only titles to me. Yeah, know? yeah. I'd only, I'd only heard the titles, and to read these plots, some of them outrageously ridiculous, uh, some of them like, hey, that sounds like that would work. Um, British love fantasy. And uh, so you have fantasy in, in big hits like Floridora and other ones. And you have fantasy in, I have to mention, one of their biggest hits uh, that flopped here. And that's in Salad Days. Mm. Any musical built around a magical piano that forces people to dance when it's played is a fantasy in my book. It also has a flying saucer in it. It's a delightful score. Yeah. Not only did this run 2000, it's been revived many times. It is still a favorite, and some of the songs are still done. What's uh, wrong with these people, or in their version, what is wrong with Americans? What don't you like about salad days, you know? I'm going to listen to that today. No, I just wrote it down. <laughs> yeah. Again. yeah, delightful score. But I would say that is the biggest example of. What works there doesn't necessarily work here. Yeah, and uh, and that's been shown many times over the, the decades. Yes. And on this on this wonderful list of shows that you've compiled in this book, let's imagine you have a time machine. You can go back and you can go see one of the performances of these shows. But you only get to see one. Which show would you want to go back and see? I would love to see some of the original Gilbert and Sullivan's. Oh, they, they were unbelievably good productions you know i mean we know they're you know they hold up well and now uh when they made that great movie called uh topsy-turvy about the making of Mikado, uh, that was a british director mike lee he researched and made sure that every set costume everything was exactly like the original because they have it all you know they got great museums and whatnot and watching that made me think Wow, what it would have been like to see the first HMS Pinafore or the first Pirates of Penzance. So those are the first ones that, that come into my mind. I would have liked to have seen Me and My Girl. Huge success. Took 50 years to get here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, with Lupino Lane and uh, the great comic song and dance man. And, and to see how wonderful that show must have been and, and why we had to wait, you know, 50 years before we saw how wonderful it was. I would have liked to have seen that original one. Yeah. Um, I would have liked to have seen any of the Noel Coward ones with uh, the reviews with Beatrice Lilly, you know, oh, and sure. people, you know, they, they were on stage where, you know, movies didn't do justice to them. Um, yeah. But um, uh, those sort of things. Um so uh, yeah, there's 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 a couple as I'm going. Oh wow, this I would like to have seen. I yeah. love that. And then how how long did the book take you to to create from idea all the way up until May I, when it was I published? Would say almost every book, uh, there's a few exceptions, are a year. Yeah, yeah, I figure a whole year. Yeah. And is that and when you're doing that, is that the only book you're focusing on, or do you have other other things going at the same time? Uh, it's usually the only one. Good yeah. for you. Now. So once again, listeners, it's an incredible book. Obviously, we're going to post a link, The Mikado to Matilda. Um, and it's just like all of Thomas's books, 
you need them on your shelf. They're just, they're absolutely amazing. They're an incredible resource. Can you give us a little hint of what you're going to be working on next or what the next book might be? Well, uh, it took so long for this book to come out. Um, from when I finished it, I think some of it was affected by the virus. Yeah. I was lucky enough to get it out. There are many books right now that are sitting in publishers' offices that are stuck in the process. It's really sad. Yeah. Um, I have heard of, there's a book about Sondheim that I hear is really very good and it is stalled. It, it's, um, and I don't know the author, but it is stuck. It's not moving anywhere. And um, it's a Sondheim encyclopedia and hmm. sounds great. But it literally is like between steps and nothing's happening because of, uh, you have to remember these publishers, they let most of their staff go. They just said, go home. And they only kept uh, the order department open so they could sell books. And um, so it delayed this book. And uh, Mark Robinson and I started another book. And it was delayed that we decided to uh, self-publish. And so... My, the next book we're working on is a, a collaboration. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it this way, but uh, we love Ken Mandelbaum's um, Not Since Carrie, and it has never been followed up. So our next book is 30 years of Broadway. We don't call them flops, um, but misfires. So from 1989 right up to the virus closing the theaters we look at all the musicals that did not make money we we don't call them bombs we don't call them flops because some of them are outstanding but they didn't make money and uh the publisher rowman and littlefield the proposal sat there for three months uh and so we just you know we were working on it and, and nobody was answering you know so we said this book won't come out until 2024 or something. And we wanted it now because the last chapter is about the virus yeah. and the idea that there are many reasons why shows do not make money. And now we've come up with a new reason that is scary, that a show that is so successful and has got great reviews and is doing Bafo box office is stopped cold. And what is going to happen to that show? Is it going to come back? Is it going to throw the towel in? Is it going to, you know, go to television? Um, so that's our last chapter is looking at things. So we didn't want to wait for Robin and Littlefield to come back in the business. Yeah. So we're publishing it, and it's actually going to come out in September. Oh, that's great news! We've oh, been looking for something like that for so long. Yeah. I think you're going to get uh, so many. Oh yes. I've been talking about this uh, an update. So what a great idea! Yeah, it's yeah. A, we look at them all. Hundred about a hundred and fifty musicals over the last 30 years yeah. and, and i was and uh, this is serendipity but i was talking i was actually emailing mark uh this morning and he said that it's going to come out in september and yeah. obviously when it comes out we'd love to have you guys both back on the show to to promote it and and discuss it but we're so happy that's the next thing for you we were we just couldn't figure out why ken mandelbaum never did it and it's been many years it's been 30 years since that book came out and he's never pursued it, and uh, we didn't want to step on toes or anything, but we got word that he had no interest in writing a sequel. And so 
we always wanted a sequel and we know other people wanted to hey, everything. We all do. Yeah. So uh, it was like, let's do it. And um, I think it was actually the, it was pushed by uh, Robbie Roselle. He kept pushing Mark to do it. You got to do this book. And, yeah. uh, and Mark knows some periods better than I do. He knows some of the more recent stuff. He's, uh, you know, between the two of us, uh, we, it's all entries, you know, so we like, who can handle this show better, you know? Yeah. And we do include the jukebox musicals. We don't include reviews, but we do include all the jukebox musicals. We include the horror musicals. We include right up to Tootsie, um, Be More Chill. Um, I think the last most recent book, uh, excuse me, musical is um, The Lightning Thief, which played right before oh, Christmas. Oh, yeah. I right. saw that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, that actually closed and lost money, and uh, and then it stopped. You know, um, and the big question mark, and we want the book to come out before it's you know before that the questions are answered. You know, uh, what's going to happen to these shows that were running so well? Some have already announced they're not going to reopen, but um, yeah, but what a and we refuse to call them flops. Um, because we said that just is not true anymore. How do you take a show, you know, like, uh, well, Sunset Boulevard, which ran two and a half years and won Ivy Award in the book and never made a penny? Is yeah. that really a flop? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Spider Man, you know, cost so much it was a flop. But you take all these beautiful shows like Parade or Grey Gardens. Or, you know, they, they didn't make any money, but everything about them is wonderful. Ken Mandelbaum put those kind of shows in his last chapter. You know, he yes. had one chapter for the good shows that should have run. Well, it's not true anymore. A lot of good shows don't run. And yeah. so uh, we divided it by uh, categories of based on movies, based on children's, family things. Sure. Musical, you know, so... Uh, and it was it was heartbreaking uh, uh, to re- to go back and visit these shows that just had everything going for them, but something was wrong. You know, could have been the critics. Sometimes it was the audiences. Sometimes it was the timing. Sometimes it was you know, uh, you know, and, and sometimes they really were flops. I mean, they they did everything wrong. You know, yeah, <laughs> yes. And let's face it, people have such warm spots for those musicals that they loved, but weren't hits. Yeah, we all do, yeah. Some of our fondest memories. We love talking about them, we love sharing them, we love finding each other's out, it's it's so true, yeah. And uh, we have one chapter just for the ones that, well, they flopped on Broadway, but my God, are they famous now. Mm. All Shook Up. All Shook Up is done more. Shrek did make a penny on Broadway. Shrek was the top produced high school musical yeah. Adam's family yeah years ago. yeah yeah look how many people do parade oh yeah it's how beloved people, the score is how many beloved. people are doing bridges of Madison County these are all New York considered failures mm-hmm. but uh and Susical oh my goodness oh, my God. oh everywhere yeah right yeah so you know uh it, it's almost to the point where Broadway success is just you know that's a relative term, you know. Uh, oh yeah, it was a hit on Broadway, 
Um, but well, yeah, there's shows that are hits on Broadway that nobody wants to touch, you know, and they just, they were, you know, successes of certain kinds. So it was a fascinating work to, to work on. That book. That's, that is great. And we cannot wait to read it. We've, we've loved every other book that you've ever done. And we thank you so, so much for in- you know, producing an incredible legacy, but so many just wonderful resources for all of us geeks and academics out there. <laughs> so thank you for that. Thomas, this has been an absolute pleasure. Once again, folks, the book is called The Mikado to Matilda, British Musicals on the New York Stage. It's available on Amazon, um, and we will obviously provide a link for you so you can go purchase it and enjoy your copy as well. Thomas, thank you so much for everything. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, till next time, everyone. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And a big thanks to the punchy players, Jeff Marquis, who is bringing back Lucy, Betty, Judy, and Morda shill for us. And a big thanks to our sound editor, Daniel Schwartzberg, and social media manager, Bethany Ann Selecki. And don't forget, we want more folks to hear these incredible stories, and that's where you come in. In order for people to find out about us, we need lots of ratings on iTunes. So head on over to iTunes, search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends, click on our logo, click on ratings and reviews, then write a review and leave us five stars and make us feel as special as Eliza Doolittle on Eliza Doolittle Day. Or you can leave us just one star and you can make us feel as baddie, baddie, bad as Annie did in that really weird production in Boston where Annie dreamt that she was being adopted, but then she ended up back where in the orphanage, right? Back where she started. Yeah, true story. Rob saw it. Yes, and it was batty. It was bizarre. I was there. I was. Oh, God. So head on over to iTunes and make us feel even more special than we already do. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.